Good morning. Man, some incredible worship. Thank you, Warner. Thank you to the band. Um, so hopefully, if you didn't get one on the way in, there's a, a stack of them. We got more underneath, but we've got these little uh, First Peter. It's also got Second Peter and Jude in here, but we're just going through First Peter, so note taker, so you can write all over in it and then uh, file it away. I actually found my daughters from James uh, when I was cleaning out the cart, so um, which means that she wasn't looking for it. But anyway, uh, sorry, honey. <laughs> um, but uh, so this morning, um, me preaching on submission. <laughs> uh, not. I know you, you, your minds are now racing, right? And hopefully you read ahead and you know that we're talking about 1 Peter. Uh, chapter 2, verse 13 is where he starts, and he ends it in chapter 3, verse 7. Uh, and, it's, and it's a whole section of what the Christian life of submission looks like. Um, and it applies in a bunch of different facets, and that's what he does, is he steps through each one of these things. So... Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to step through this, okay? Um, uh, but let, let, me, let me just, so it's difficult for us to divide the difference in our minds, and I don't want to speak for everybody, but I think this is pretty true, um, what are American values and what are scriptural values? Like what are... What are biblical commands? What, what does the Bible tell us? And then how do we, how, how have we, most of us, grown up in America? And, and even if you're not in America, American values that, that have, quite, quite frankly, spread. These values of freedom that I'm all for, okay? You guys, right? Um, but I, so here, here's what Peter's going to do, and I honestly, I'm, I'm very, uh, I struggled with this because there's, there's two things, and what Peter's going to do, right, is well, throughout Scripture we see that that God over and over talks about us caring for the needy, for uh, fighting against injustice and oppression, right? Like that is that is very clear throughout Scripture. But then on this other side, we have this submit to your circumstances. <laughs> That's tough. And, and where these two things converge is what I'm going to be talking about this morning. What, what Peter's talking about is how do, we, how do we do both of these things? How do we submit to our circumstances? And, and we're going to go through each of these circumstances that Peter is going to start with the government. He's going to be like, you got to submit to the government. Okay. And then he's going to say, you need to submit to your employers. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm stepping on, we're stepping on toes here. And then he's going to say, wives, submit to your husbands. All right. So those are the three that we're going to be talking about this morning. That, that scripture is going to lay out for us and go, how, what, what do these things have in common? And what they have in common is a heart condition that is submission. Okay. So I know all your brains are, are all over the place right now. And you guys are thinking, 
I mean, we can just go through the list. I don't want to go through the list because then I'm going to put things in your brain that you may not be thinking about. But there's plenty of them. If we just stopped at government, we could probably just hang out there. And honestly, we fight and fight for four years, and then we happily submit for four years. Isn't that what we do? And then maybe there's an eight in there somewhere. You got, this, this should not be. This is not what Scripture calls us to do. And so what we're trying to figure out this morning is what is this intersection? What's the intersection that, that the Bible, that God gives us here in Scripture to say, fight oppression, fight injustice, care for the needy, care for the orphans. On the other hand, submit to your circumstances and know that your God is sovereign and that he's caring for you and in the midst of chaos, that's not where your hope is. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege to come before you this morning and uh, to read your words. And we do, God, we, we read these as, uh, as you intend them for us. They're written thousands of years ago to a people that was significantly more oppressed, significantly more fearful, significantly more persecuted. And yet these words still apply to us, and they apply to Christians across this world. And so I pray, Father, that this morning as, as, as you step on toes, as you point us in the direction that you want us to live, I pray that, that my opinions would not be coming from this stage, and that you would speak, and that your words would be true, and that your Holy Spirit would do the work that, that nothing else can. We love you, Father, and we humbly come before you. Amen. So let me just start by saying we submit to God. All of these things are, are really just how we submit in our lives practically, right? Like how do you actually submit to God in your daily life? Well, the government's going to come in and jump on things, and, and your employer's going to come in and jump on things. And, and at the end here, he's going to talk to wives specifically, but he's going to say, like, you know, in your marriage, in your house, there's going to be conflict. And there's going to be frustrations. And, and throughout all of these things, we have an opportunity to live pointing to Christ. And so we've seen as Peter has, has laid the foundation for this, right? He starts off by saying, listen, you have a living hope. As Christians, your hope isn't in, it's not wishful thinking, right? Like our hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like legitimately, Jesus died, he rose from the grave. We have a hope, like it, we have already cashed in on this hope, right? Like God has already, th this cross is empty for a reason, right? Like God has already secured our eternity for us. So our hope is in something living, it's alive. And then he says what? Based on that, we are to be separate. We are to be set apart. We ought to be living in anticipation of that hope of Jesus coming back, right? And that, that this eternal kingdom is waiting for us. And so he goes, he goes Here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be set apart. You're going to be exiles in this world. And we talked about, like, do I feel like an exile or do I fit in well? Right? And he says, you're supposed to be holy and set apart. 
That's what that means, right? And, and then we saw last week, Gene talks about us being living stones, that, that we were actually like not just dead rocks, but that life was breathed into us. And then we were shoved into this wall that is becoming a spiritual house. Think of it as like a temple, right? Like you, us, we, people, are this spiritual house. People don't have to come here to this address, 616 State Road 13, in order to find God. They could talk to you. They could talk to me. They could see our actions even without talking to us. And ideally, they see us reflecting Christ. That's, that's the point of that. And so now, this morning, what, what he's going to do is he's going to say, okay, now, practically, what does that mean? How do you actually do this? And so we're going to start off in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse, uh, we're actually going to start in verse 12, which I'm going to overlap a little bit with Gene. And so here, here's what he says at the end of last week we read this. He says, uh, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So when, when Jesus comes back, we know that every knee will bow and confess Jesus, right? Whether, whether they want to or not, that's what's going to happen. And so what he's saying here is that your good deeds are not for you. They're not for you to earn some sort of righteousness. God isn't like, hey, how, how you been? You know, you need to do a little more good. Little less bad. That's not the point here. Your good deeds are what? They're for others to see God. That's the point. Okay? So that's the basis for everything that we're going to be talking about here. And this is the basis Peter uses. And we've got to get over this hump. Your good deeds, what you're doing is not for you. You're not earning anything. But it's for God. It's for his glory. All right, so that's where he starts. Um, and so, so as we step through this and we, and we start looking into what does this conduct look like? What does, you know, us uh, keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable? What Peter's going to say is that is submission. And that's what he's going to say for the next however many verses it is. <laughs> okay? Everything I'm going to be preaching on this morning. Submission. Submit. It's a horrible word. We hate it. <laughs> Don't we? I mean, across the board, like the idea that I have to submit. But, but I want you to think about this for a second. What is submission? Submission is me saying, I guess I'll do that, <laughs> right? Or, or I, I don't, I, I got to lay aside what I want, right? And submit to what I maybe don't want. If you cuz if you wanted it you're not submitting. You're just doing what you want to do, right? The whole point is that like there's a there's a authority figure or there's something that's saying you need to do this or don't do this and your your person goes that's not what I want to do. And then God says submit. So that's that's the picture and in all of these contexts that's what he's building, okay? All right. Let me, let's just get into this. All right, verse 13. He says, uh, be subject, and we'll just stop there right now. All right, you're gonna see this all throughout. And if you've got your, your note-takers or even in your own Bible, or if you've got a digital Bible and you wanna highlight, 
go through and highlight every place where it says be subject. Because that word is submit. It's the same word, same Greek word, okay? If you go to Ephesians chapter 5, when Paul talks through what that, what the, like, fully what the marriage relationship looks like, and he talks about mutual submission, that we as Christians ought to submit to everyone, in that, it's the same word, okay? So when you see be subject, be subject, be subject, at each paragraph break, he's saying submit, okay? So he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Well, now that's just ridiculous. <laughs> every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, whew, don't have one of those, good, or to governors ugh, as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So what he says here, and, and this is really important, right? They are sent by him. Underline that. By him. Who's him? Who's him? God. Right? He's saying that, that God has sent this, these human institutions. And what are we to do? We're to submit to them. Yes. There, and and, and now, now, okay, I know where you guys are all going, right? Because he says uh, whether it's to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Ah, you see, sometimes governments praise those who do evil and punish those who do good. And so those governments must not be sent by God. It's not what he says. It's not what he says. The, the ideal, the plan is this is that God has created civil government to create law and order. That's a gracious thing, because we created the chaos. Adam and Eve created the chaos. Our sin creates the chaos. And so what God has provided us is with this civil organization, this government, to allow us to thrive. And so the question then is, well, how does this work? Is this... Is this begrudging submission? Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 2, or you can write it in your, in your notes there if you'd like. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. How you doing praying for your king? How have you been doing praying for your king in years past? Obviously, I'm using the, the term king, not literally, right? This is what we're called to do. And, and here's the rub. It doesn't matter whether you agree or disagree with them. You see, God has created this civil government as a provision for us. And, oh, we like it. <laughs> we like driving on roads, don't we? <laughs> right? There's some provisions that are very helpful that government has provided us with. And so we go, well, I like that piece. I don't like this piece. And I don't want to get into all the politics. Right? More government, less government, all, it doesn't matter. 
what he's saying here is that we are to submit to every human institution. And then look at what it says in verse uh, 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Kind of a cool little kitschy thing at the end, doesn't it? Yeah. Until I have to do it. So what does he say? This is the will of God. So this is the tough part. And this is where we struggle. And going back to these ideals, right? Like, we like to fight. We, we just like to fight. We, we now schedule fighting on TV, and we watch people fight. <laughs> Done this since Roman times, probably before. We like to fight to right wrongs. We root for underdogs, right? Like, this is kind of who we are as people. And, and, and there's, there's a part of us that, that wants to cast off and, and to fight what we disagree with and support and submit to the things that we agree with. But here's the problem. He says that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Some of your translations may say the ignorant talk of foolish people. What, again, okay, now go into the, the, the context of 1 Peter. The Christians were a movement, right? It was called the way. Everybody was following Jesus, and this was growing and spreading. What was the perception? What was the perception of what these Christians were about to do? Were they going to revolt? Was it going to be a rebellion? Was it anarchy that was about to come? And, was it, and, and should the Romans and the Jews and everybody fear the Christians and them overthrowing their government. This is the concern. And so what he says is, no, that, that's ignorant talk because you know what? That's the exact same way the world operates. Think about it for a second. If that was our mentality, how are we set apart? How are we any different from the world? Because what does the world do? I don't like my situation. Let me fix it. Let me fight and fight and fight to get what I want, my team, my people, and then everything's going to be great. Until it's not, and then I fight, fight, fight. And what he's saying here is that, that's, not, that's not what this is about. That's, that's what they're expecting you to do. That's how they're expecting you to live to the world. But instead, what he's saying to us is, no, no, no. We want to, um, we want to do good so that they will see God. Look at what he says. This is amazing in verse 16. He goes, live as people who are free. He doesn't say you are free in this world. He says, live as people who are free. Right? We're free spiritually. We're free from sin. We're free from death. We've been set free by Jesus. Can anybody put us in bondage? I mean, yes, physically, but not really. Temporarily, temporarily, but not eternally. You see, this is the contrast. 
This is, this is the, the dilemma that we're faced here where we look at this and we go, no, 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 we're to live as free. And so in the midst of oppression, in the midst of injustices, how can we live? Free. I can submit. I can submit to a government that's unfair to me. Now, do I fight for the needs of the oppressed and the needy and all those things? Absolutely, right? But where's my hope? And this goes all the way back to the beginning of 1 Peter. Where's your hope? Is your hope that you're going to get over this hill and then once you get your team in or once you solve this problem, smooth sailing from there. Life is good. Or is your hope founded on Jesus Christ? You see, that's the difference. And that's what he's pointing to here. And he says, don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. We're different. We're set apart. All right, so you're going to say, well, then, all government all the time? Well, that certainly can't be true, Jonathan. <laughs> right? And we can start running through some stuff historically where we aren't very emotionally invested. And we can say, well, there's been a lot of kingdoms, a lot of countries that we wouldn't support. And I'm not going to list them off because there's plenty and I don't want to pick and choose. So what then? We had a little debate inside of my own house about this, right? What then? Turn over to Acts chapter 4. Because Peter uh, is not unfamiliar with this, which is a beautiful piece of this. Is that, in that while Peter is writing this letter, he actually had to rebel historically. Acts chapter 4, verse 18. So Peter and John get called in. Um, and uh, the Pharisees and the leadership, they say, so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Ooh, okay. Well, that's what the authorities said. <laughs> but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. Now, here's what's cool about this. That seems like a very passive way of answering, doesn't it? I mean, they didn't go like, no. They kind of go, listen, I, it's up to you guys. We're going to keep doing this. <laughs> if you guys want to kill us, then I guess we're going to die. But we're going to keep doing this. I mean, that, that's kind of what they say. And in fact, in verse 29, they even, then they, they're praying to God and they say, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They're praying to God that their decision was right. This wasn't very clear cut for them. I mean, like, they're like, well, I know I'm supposed to preach Jesus, but God, please just grant it to your servants that, that you know, we'll, we'll keep going. And so they faithfully did. So let me, so let me throw this out here, okay? Um, if government is telling you to do something that violates Scripture, then it's an individual thing, right? You have to pick and choose, okay? If government's telling you not to do something that Scripture tells you to do, like in this case, same thing. You're, you're presented with the, the dilemma, and you go, what do I do? So let me ask you this. In history past, Christians have been called to die. Right? Peter and John, 
We're willing to die. Hang with me here. We want to keep a certain lifestyle and certain luxuries and certain freedoms and have our cake and eat it too. We go, I want to be able to do this thing that I want, right, that, that God is commanding me to do, but I want to do it on my terms. I shouldn't have to give up my job in order to follow Christ. Yeah, you might. I shouldn't have to give up my house or my wealth or my income in order to follow Christ. Yeah. You might. I shouldn't have to, to deal with my kids and schools and, and these different things in order to follow. Yes. Yes. You see, you see the problem? You see how we've kind of twisted this and we went, oh, no, here's these American ideals. Here's this freedom and fairness and all these things that we think we deserve. I, get, I guarantee you martyrdom, dying for your faith, is not fair. And yet fairness is the thing that we prize more than anything. In fact, I would argue it's the motivation for much of what we do. Me, me included. <laughs> and so what is he saying here? He's saying submit to the government. And if you're presented with an ultimatum, what are you really saying when you say, I don't want to do that? Stepping on toes yet? It's not me. I'm just reading. <laughs> All right. So now he transitions. He goes, okay, there's the government. Okay? And then he transitions to masters. He says, servants, be subject to your masters. Okay, now, don't, don't, get, don't get bothered by this as like being some, some niche right? Slaves and masters, like the, the, the implication here is for employees and employers, right? So it's the same, same implications that, that Peter is, is going at here. He says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Who likes their employers? <laughs> Some of you might, right? And, and he says that sub, being subject to your masters, submitting to your employers might be easy for some of you. Some of you might not have an employer. You could be a master of your own domain, right? Like, you, you, may, be a, you may own your own business. You may be a CEO. Like, I don't know, right? But, but there's, a, there's a point at which you could say, well, I don't, this doesn't apply to me. And that's fair. But what is he looking at in particular? He says, he says that we ought to submit to our masters whether they are just or unjust, I think this one hits a little bit more in the how do I practically apply this in my daily life? As a Christian, when I go to work, what do I do? 
How am I set apart? How do I respond differently? You see, because the reality is, is you may get passed over for a promotion. You may not be respected. You may not progress as others might simply because of your faith. Not that anybody could say that, right? You just infer that. And, you, and maybe it's real, maybe it's emotional, and, and you kind of feel this way, but it's not true. You know, who knows? But what does he say here? That we need to submit to our employers, how? With respect. He doesn't just say submit to This isn't begrudging submittal, right? Like this isn't us going backbiting and stabbing and and making fun and all of these things to our employers or our masters. He says, no, 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 do it with respect. Submit to them with respect. Respect them, not because they're just. This is tough. This is tough because God's telling us that we need to respect somebody that we don't respect. How in the world are we supposed to do that? Here's how. Because we're eternally minded. Because your employer needs the grace of God as much as you do. And maybe they're a Christian. Maybe they're not. Maybe they don't know Jesus. Maybe they do know Jesus and just haven't figured out how to apply that into their lives. Or maybe they're, they're infants in the spiritual journey, right? And they just are trying to start thinking and wander, wondering about things, right? And here's this opportunity for you, you and me, to reflect Christ's submission to them. And they go, why? Why are you acting like that? Why are you respecting me when everybody else would disrespect me when I do the same thing? Aren't you concerned? You see what I mean? There's an eternal focus here. You could be upset, and you could fight to try to get fairness. You could. Or you can submit to God's sovereignty, and you can say, perhaps God put me here in order to reflect Christ in this relationship. You see, when it really comes down to it, we have a problem with God's sovereignty. We have a problem knowing that God has done this to our lives. Whatever this is. Don't we? We think we could do better. And that's the challenge for us. And and there's a lot of pain and hurt and frustration because of where we're at. A lot of anger towards God. And we sit here, and our real problem is not submitting to our employers. Our real problem is not submitting to the government. Our real problem is that we don't want to submit to God's sovereignty. That's our real problem. And we don't like the idea that God is molding us and shaping us and teaching us and, and making us more into the image of his son. But that's the reality. And sometimes life just sucks. Probably shouldn't say that up here, but I did. 
it does. And there's a lot of you that are going through stuff now. And and I know it's tough. I talk to a lot of most of you. Um, and it weighs on us. And the question is, is are we willing to say, God, this is what you've given me here and now, and I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to submit to the circumstances I'm in. Yeah. Um, God has thrown our family through a loop. In the last couple of years. And... Uh, But it's in these circumstances that we look at it and we go, we have to reinterpret it. Because if we sit here and just think that we're fighting, we're fighting for comfort, we're fighting for freedom, we're fighting for our fairness, we're fighting for what we feel like are our rights, then we will always lose. Always. And that's how the world feels, you guys. That's how the world feels. You understand that, right? Because they don't know Christ. They don't know the good news. And, and so we can be suffering in the midst of this and go, man, it's been rough. But God's got this. And I know that God is for me. And you know that God is for you. And that in this context, in this suffering and persecution and all of this, that, that God is working and orchestrating things for his glory. And that's what motivates us. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what he's going to get into here as he starts uh, moving through these verses. You see, because we have a mission. And our mission is to point to Christ. In everything that we do. In every circumstance that we have. We got to be able to declare why we have hope. Why we have peace. Why do we have joy? It doesn't make sense. It shouldn't make sense to the world. It it can't make sense to the world. And this is reflective of what Jesus tells us, right? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You see, if it's good, if, if God loves the world, how can we pick and choose who we love and who we don't? And this is what he says. So that we can be sons of our Father in heaven. So then picking up in verse 21, he says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. We're called to this. Did you guys know this? When you said, I'm following Christ, 
I'm going to get baptized and follow Christ. Did you know that to this you were called? Would you have changed your mind? Yeah, I hope I did. If you think you would, let me know, and we'll, we'll jump through the gospel a little bit more because it's good news. He says, this is why you've been called, right? And he says, um, he, talking about Jesus, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. These are things that we have the capacity to do. Do we not? But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Our judgment isn't in this world. I could get arrested tomorrow and be tried and put to death. I mean, hope not. I haven't done anything wrong. But I know a God who can judge justly. And so I'm not concerned if that's what he has for me. It says in verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, meaning the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. Because of what Jesus has done, we're healed. We're whole. We're not searching and looking and trying to make this life all that, that we expect it to be and perfect and, and fair, right? Like, that's, that's the efforts of the world, and we're going to wear ourselves out. That's the rat race that the world is in. He goes, no. No. You've been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Praise God. So how, so how do we submit to our employers throughout? We're, we're constantly, we're eternally minded. We're going, no, 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 I'm here on mission. I'm not here for comfort. I'm not here for peace. I'm called to submit. All right, chapter three, verse one. You guys ready? This is all what y'all been waiting for. <laughs> Likewise, wives, be subject. Submit to your own husbands. Let me just stop there. First, this is not women to men. You guys understand this, right? This is wives to your husbands. It's not, it's not all wives to all husbands. It's, it's inside of the house. This is what he's talking about. And just as, just as there's been a government that's been established to create order, and there's employer and employee relationships, right? Like, we don't look at our employer and going, I should be there and you should, right? Like, it, there's always an order, and God is a God of order. I'm not going to stand here and sit and, and, and exegete the entire Christian re relationship in marriage. That's not the point here. And this isn't the point that Peter is making. He doesn't really dive into it very much. In fact, Paul does a much greater uh, work in that in uh, Ephesians chapter 5. And you can go in that and look at it. And in 521, he says that we ought to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit. Uh, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, right? There's this beautiful relationship that's described there. That's not Peter's point. In fact, Peter's point here is talking about oppression. It's talking about authority figures in your life that you don't like, whether that's the government or your employer or your husband. 
This is what he's saying. Just because there's a big three before this paragraph does not mean that, that Peter has changed his, his thought, okay? He says, likewise. I, honestly, when they created the chapters and verses, they didn't do a great job. You know that was man that did that, right? Like that was, God didn't say chapter three of First Peter will be this. Um, so anyway, so he says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. So he's talking, now put yourself in the context, right? And maybe, maybe some of you have experienced this, where you came to faith and your husband was not a believer. Maybe. Maybe, maybe you're in that struggle right now. Um, this was more prevalent then, right? Because... N- there was, nobody was believers, right? Like, and, then, and then people started following and believing, right? And so you started seeing this. And so there were very many relationships where there were these wives and their husbands weren't believers. And so what does Paul say? Don't overthrow your husband's authority. Don't do that. Because then what's going to happen? What's the reputation of Christ? None of these women will, will be married, <laughs> right? Like this is what his concern is. Don't overthrow your husband's authority. In fact, win him to Christ by your conduct so that they may be won without a word by your conduct. That's the point. That's what he's addressing here is how should a woman who is struggling, a wife who is struggling with an oppressive husband, an unjust, inconsiderate husband, what should you do? That's what he says. He says, submit. Now, Peter was married. Peter was in prison. Peter went on the road. His wife went with him sometimes, we know. We don't know if she went all the time. But this isn't coming from some abstract place, right? Peter has the authority to talk through this, primarily because it's the Holy Spirit writing these words. See, and the the point here is the same as we saw with employers. It's a submissive mentality. It's an eternal perspective. So here you are in this this poor relationship. What do you do? Do you try to right the wrongs? Do you try to fix everything? Do you try to make your marriage perfect? Anybody in here marriage perfect? No. I shouldn't have even asked that. I'm sorry. All right, everybody raise your hands at the same time. Right, here we go. All right. (laughs) That's horrible. Um. That's the point, right, is, is how do you live in this, in, this, um, in this situation? All right, so then he says in verse 3, a lot of people have taken this out of context, so here we go. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So he's not saying don't braid your hair, okay? He's he's saying you're not gonna win your husband to follow Christ by being outwardly beautiful. That's what he's saying. Like, don't, don't get dressed up. Like, that's, not, that's not what you should be focused on. 
and this is, this is pervasive in our society, right? It's trying to look good and, and, and trying to put on filters and to make everything look wonderful. And what he says here is, don't worry about that. Adorn yourself with an imperishable beauty. And what does he say? This is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting. That, that submission is an adornment. That's what they looked like. A gentle and quiet spirit. Like they, they, they loved their husbands and they submitted to their husbands. Why? So that they could see the humility of Christ in their lives. That's, that's why. So that they would be one. So that they would see Christ in their lives. And, and this is a beautiful reflection of um, Proverbs 31. in verse 25 and if you ever I mean most of you probably read Proverbs 31 I would imagine but talks about what a godly woman looks like and and it says in verse 25 strength and dignity are her clothing and she laughs at the time to come that's beautiful because it's the same thing that he says here right if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. What's he talking about? He's talking about her hope. Right? You don't have to be afraid of what's coming next if your hope is in Christ. And so, so here's this, this, this relationship between this oppressive, unbelieving husband and this believing wife. And she goes, I'm not afraid. I've got strength. I've got hope that's eternal. It's not in this situation. And it's the same for us, right? In any of our marriage relationships, whether that's a believer or an unbeliever or both believers, like this is, uh, this is where God is working in our lives. And so we ought to go into our marriages with humility and submission and saying, my job here is to reflect Christ. That's what I'm to do. And then he turns this over to the men. And, and as I've already described, right, for, for the husbands, it says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That, that word, live with your wives in an understanding way. It says, according to knowledge is actually like how the words are, are phrased. And some of your translations may say that. Live, your, love your, <laughs> live with your wives according to knowledge. Know them. Know their feelings. You see, this, this was revolutionary. 2,000 years ago, right? 50, 50 years ago, and we, we, gotta, we gotta put ourselves in some context, right? 50 years ago, um, the, women's, the Equal Rights Act was, was, uh, was passed. 1972, right? 1920 is when, when women were allowed to work. Okay, we're talking 2,000 years ago, okay? So there's this progression here, and we're still not right. And in God's eyes, it's all equal. 
But for us, we still hold on to all of this baggage. But, but you got to understand that in this time, for him to say to a husband, know your wife. Know what she feels. Make eye contact with her. Spend time with her. Know how she's going to react. That is not the characteristic of a husband in that world. And he says, this is how you're to love her. Oh, by the way, as you do this, remember, now he's talking to Christian husbands, because non-Christian husbands aren't reading this letter from Peter, right? He's talking to Christian husbands to their wives. Believing or unbelieving does not matter. Does not matter at all. Why? Because husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Whether they're believing wives or unbelieving wives. Why? So that they might be one to Christ. So that they would see the humility and love of Christ. Our entire lives, you guys, have nothing to do with fairness. We're not going to win. We can, we can fight and fight, and, and again, I'm not saying we don't fight for others and do all these things, but what is our hope in? What is our expectation? And what Peter outlines here is that our hope is in Christ and that we can willingly submit to governments, submit to our employers, submit inside of our marriage relationships because we're not trying to win a fairness battle. We're trying to reflect Christ in every relationship and every facet of our lives. Let me pray.